0: Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. We shall start in verse 1. In the book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. In the book of Luke, in chapter 11. Jesus' disciples follow him. And it says that they come to a place and they saw him praying. They did not interrupt him. It does say when he finished, so they were polite that way. One of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And so John the Baptist had disciples before Jesus started his ministry. And John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray. There's no real record of what he taught them. But throughout Scripture, throughout the Gospels, the disciples who knew John came to Jesus and said, John taught his disciples, please teach us. And this happened also in Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. And Jesus' response is what we call the Lord's Prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And you say, that's short. And that's because this is the shorter Lord's Prayer. The longer Lord's Prayer is in Matthew 6, 9, and that is the one that we recite, the one out of Matthew, because I guess we think longer is better. But this is the teaching. This is the model prayer. This is the prayer that Jesus said, when you pray, pray this, and so many people think that this needs to be prayed every day by every Christian. I was taught that in seminary, so I do. I pray the Lord's Prayer every day as part of my prayer practice, and uh, on Sunday, I do it twice on Sunday. I do it every day, and I don't know that there's any magic, and the thing that you have to understand is that prayer is not magic. Prayer does not manipulate God. And so when his disciples say, teach us to pray, he does this, and then he gives them a parable on prayer. And the parable on prayer is this, that a friend goes to a next door neighbor or somebody nearby who's also a friend at midnight, pounds on the door, this is midnight, okay, middle, you know, pounds on the door and says, friends of mine have come I have no food, give me your food, and I will feed them. And the person inside says, no, we're all in bed. And back then, you probably had a one-room house, okay? You had a one-room house with a downstairs and an upstairs. And the upstairs would be where work was done, and the downstairs was where cooking and sleeping. And so back then, a lot of people had a lot of kids, so you have a husband and wife, five, seven kids, something like that. And they're all sleeping together, all lined up probably downstairs. And the, as you're yelling through the door, the, the husband inside says, We're all in bed. If I get up, I'll wake the kids. And the kids are thinking, Hey, you're yelling through the door, so you're probably waking me already. Finally, the person inside gives up. And he gets up and he gives the person whatever he wants. Because, not because they're friends, their friendship means nothing, but because he is anidia. Okay, that's the Greek word. And it's important to know what that Greek word means because it is that Greek word that allowed that guy to get the bread that he was looking for. Okay? Now, it's difficult because it's a rough word. Different people interpret it differently. If you turn over to Luke 11, which we will not do, there's a story of a widow and a judge, and the widow wants justice from the judge, and the judge says, no, I don't fear God, and we'll talk about that when we get to Luke 11, but it, because of her persistence, it says it very clearly, a different word in Luke 11, because of her persistence. The judge gives her what she wants. And so some commentators say, well, this is the same sort of thing, so it must mean persistence. But if you get a Greek dictionary and you look up anadia, it doesn't mean persistence. The first word in the definition, if you look in a dictionary, there's a word and then there's definition one, two, three, four, five. Number one is shameless. No shame. The second one is insolence. Okay? Pushing your way. Being self-centered. The third is audacity. The fourth is extreme boldness. And the fifth is persistence. And so some people in their commentaries say this can't mean persistence. It has to mean something else. So as we read in the ESV, it says impotence, because of his impotence. What does impotence mean? Well, it means disrespect, discourteous, overbold. The King James and the uh, New American Standard says importunity, which means urgency. The Christian Standard Bible says shameless boldness. The New English Translation says sheer persistence. Albert Molo, who preached once on this, said that means audacity, that we need to preach audacious prayers. So what does that mean? What does it mean to preach an audacious prayer? Audaciousness is a boldness, is a saying what you want. It is not giving up. It is being in somebody's face. Some people have audacious wealth. You drive by their house and you're just, wow, two people live in that thing? That's amazing. That's audacious wealth. It's in your face. It's pointing itself out to you. And so this person who goes and asks for bread is being bold. He's not taking no for an answer. We do not have the exchange. But the idea that the person inside says, well, I'm asleep with my kids. And this guy might say, said, oh yeah, well remember last week you wanted to borrow my lawnmower and I let you have my lawnmower? He's throwing out ideas. He's throwing out reasons. He's throwing out excuses and he's not shutting up. And so this is a parable on prayer. Now, Jesus just doesn't leave it like that and walk away. He goes into an explanation. And the explanation starts in verse 9. And it says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. This is about how to ask for stuff in prayer. Now, why do we ask for stuff in prayer? We ask for stuff in prayer because we have very little control over our lives or the situation in our lives. There is a a theological and philosophical and psychological test you can do. You can take a piece of paper and on the left-hand side write absolutely everything that you have absolute control over, and on the right-hand side in your life, and on the right-hand side, write all the stuff that you have no control or little or inconsequential control over. And you will find a very short list of all the stuff you have control over and a huge list of all the stuff you don't have control over. And the great thing about that list is all the stuff on the right-hand side God does have control over it. And so we look at our problems. We look at our situation. I want I want a new situation. I want a new job. I want to live somewhere else. I want a new car. I want my situation to be different. And so we pray to God because I cannot always control my situation. Or perhaps I want something. Perhaps I can't pay my bills and I want more money or I want money for college or a new house or a new car or a new this or a new that. Or I want God to repair a relationship. I know a couple who are having marital problems and I can't go tell them to you know, straighten out and fly right, but I can pray and I can ask God to change their hearts. And that is definitely something that is out of my control, but it is in God's control. God can do all that. God is absolutely sovereign. God is absolutely in control over everything. I cannot imagine a situation or a problem or a difficulty that God is not absolutely in control over, that God can't fix without breaking a sweat. Okay? God is control and sovereign over all. And so, when we're in life... We see something and we're bothered by it. We don't like it. We're annoyed by it. it. It causes us to lose sleep, perhaps. And so we pray about it. We bring it to God. And we say, God, I can't do this. You can and therefore do it. The difficulty with prayer, and that being a very basic situation that I've said is that a lot of people seem to pray for things, nothing happens, and therefore they feel they're praying wrong. There used to be a big old Christian bookstore in San Jose, and when you look in the Christian book section, there would be Bibles, and there would be theology, and then there would be prayer, 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 and then devotions, the whole center section was full of books on prayer. You go to Amazon, you type in prayer, you'll get tens of millions of hits because everybody feels, it seems, that prayer doesn't work for them. They don't get what they want out of prayer. And so people see that as an opportunity to write their view on prayer and sell you a book. And therefore their prayer of making money off their books is answered because you buy their book. The ask, seek, and knock that is here is a, 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 a point of many of the books and teachings. There are literally millions of sermons on YouTube about the Ask, Seek, and Knock and how to do it correctly and therefore get what you want from God. And a lot of it is presented as a formula, as an incantation, as a way to manipulate God. Because if I'm doing it wrong, I learn to do it right, God will do what I want. Okay? Okay. God does not wait for us to use a proper word combination. God does not wait for us to figure out what to pray for. God does not punish us because we knocked instead of seeking or we asked instead of knocking. Okay, And I've, I've heard sermons on that saying you got to do it in the right order. No, you don't. This is an example that Christ is giving. What does ask, seek, and knock mean? In seminary, we studied this extensively because this is a style of Greek literature which means start asking and never stop. Start seeking and never stop. Start knocking and never stop. These are continuous Activities. These are activities that are ongoing. That if I, and I can say, pray until answered, okay? If you're actually praying for somebody to get saved, okay, and you prayed for 20 years for this person to get saved, and then they finally do, and they give a real honest uh, reception to Christ, and they're involved in church, and it's clear that your prayer has been answered, then you can pray. Praise God, and you can stop asking, seeking, and knocking about that. But until it happens, until whatever you're praying for is answered, you are continually asking, you are continually seeking, and you are continually knocking. This does a couple things. One, if I'm praying the same thing every day, if I'm praying for this person to get a job, this person to get saved, this, uh, you know, to get a new boss at work, to, to whatever I'm praying for. I am going to pray for that every day. God will slowly begin to change my mind or hone in on what I really need to be praying about. Okay? An example about... I don't know, six, seven weeks ago. Some time ago. I come in on a Monday morning. I open my office door, and there's water on the floor. Not a lot, about two square feet near my desk. And I thought, huh, did my coffee pot leak? Is there a leak in the ceiling? You know, did it come up from underneath? Because there are water pipes in the concrete underneath the church. Is, you know, how did this water get there? And so I wrote down a prayer. I said, God, there is water in my office. Please take care of it. Because I had no idea. And some people will say, that's rude. You can't tell God what to do. You go, it's an audacious prayer. I'm telling God to take care of it. I can't take care of it. I don't know what it is. And so I clean it up. Okay? I I mop it up. Then I do my work, and then I come in Tuesday, same amount of water on the floor. And I say, aha. There's, there's a source, it wasn't just a spill, the water's being pumped into my office. And so I, I talked to Mike, and I talked to a guy from the other church, and we, we determined that one of the bathrooms upstairs, the ladies' bathroom, the toilet wouldn't shut off, and as the toilet wouldn't shut off, water kept being pumped into the toilet, it overflowed Okay, came out the joints. The wall in the ladies' bathroom upstairs comes straight down and is the wall of my office. Okay, so the wall filled with water and the ceiling filled with water was what was eventually discovered over several days. Every day I would look at that and after a week of this, my prayer was no longer, there's water in my office, God take care of it. It was, there's a leak upstairs and the wall is full of water. God take care of it. I'm adding more details as I learn stuff, not to instruct God, but to get me more in line with what he may be doing. Because at this point, I don't know how God's going to fix it. Okay, I'm not, I don't have the skills to fix that. So... I pray about it. I pray about it. I pray about it. It's clear that God was directing me toward... Call the insurance company. So I call the insurance company. They come, they look, and they go, yeah, the toilet was a bad toilet. So they paid for all that. We received money, and so we were able to hire workers. We hired people from the Spanish church that meets in the evening. And they have been working regularly. And so after we hired them, I met them and I got their names. And so what can I do now? I can say, there are people working in the church in my office and they are named this, this, and this. I can now pray blessings upon them. I can pray wisdom. I want their work to be so you only have to do it once. Okay, So I'm praying for skill. I didn't you know, have a chance to see a resume. These were presented to me from the church. And I was told, these are good workers. And I thought, praise God, they're good workers. We shall work with them. But I can now pray. And so now my prayer is the better part of a paragraph of what is going on. And I'm praying about every little aspect of it. At this point... Uh, All the drywall and the ceiling has been uh, patched and fixed and dried out. The flooring has been removed that was destroyed by the water. Uh, They have painted, they have textured and plastered everything. They have painted the ceiling. It looks like this morning. uh, They'll be painting the walls uh, sometime maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow. I do not know, but I pray about it. I pray that they will get it done And then we'll put the flooring in and then I'll move everything back in. And the prayer will be answered. And the prayer will be answered that started with, God, there is water in my office. Take care of it. Now I know exactly what's going on, how they're fixing it. I am praying through every aspect of it. And when it's all done, I can actually put a check mark next to it and say, it's done. And Jesus continues and says, uh, if you ask, you'll find it. If you seek, uh, you'll find it. If you ask, it'll be given. And if you knock, it'll be open to you. A second way of looking at the ask, see, and knock, and a lot of people do this, talk about this, is it's a, it's a expansion. If, I knock, if I'm asking, I'm just using my words. If I'm seeking, I'm, I'm moving around. I'm looking under stuff. I'm lifting stuff up, looking under every rock. I'm seeking. And if I knock, I actually know that the answer is behind that door. I've sought enough. I've asked enough. I know the answer is there. I can now knock on it. But what does that mean for us? Uh, One commentator uh, put it this way, and I think it's good. Uh, When you ask, you're just praying. When I wrote down, there's water in my office, God fix it. That's an ask. I don't know nothing I'm just praying about the water. That's an ask. Ask is very simple. It begins the prayer process. I begin to bring things to God. I don't necessarily know exactly what I'm bringing or what direction this is going to take, but I bring it to God, and I ask Him. Seeking is, well, when we seek as Christians, we have one source of seeking, and that is the Word of God. I can then look through the Bible and say, what other people in the Bible have prayed prayers like this? What was their answer? So if I'm praying for a marriage to be fixed, can I look through Scripture and find God's view on marriage and how He wants it to be? And if I do, I now have scriptural backing. Okay, I'm not manipulating God. I'm just looking for things he's done before, God being the same yesterday, today, and forever. I can find things in the past that he's done. I can find things that perhaps David prayed in the Psalms and what the answer was, and I can begin to write that on my prayer sheet, in my prayer journal. And as I pray for the work to be done, I can then pray, yeah, because, you know... Ezra was trying to build... No, he was building the temple. Nehemiah was trying to build the wall. And you told him, go build the wall. And you blessed him. I'm not looking for a wall. I'm just looking for my office to be fixed. But it's kind of the same thing. Kind of. And so I can pray through that. I can pray through stories in the Bible giving me confidence that God's going to do something. And then knocking is getting out and doing something when we exist in a loving, trusting uh, Christian body. And we have had Bible studies before COVID. We now have Sunday school during you know COVID. We kept that going. We can share our requests with other people. We can share our requests with other people because a lot of the time, I don't know if it's most, I don't know the percentage, but I've heard story after story after story. I am sharing my prayer request of water in my office, and I did. I did it with a pastor of the Spanish church, and he said, have I got workers for you. God used him to answer my prayer. And he would have never known, he would have not had the opportunity to answer the prayer, to be God's agent in answering the prayer if I didn't share it. And so we ask God, we look in Scripture, and we talk about the prayer request with other people. And I've been in Bible studies where somebody has said, well, I'm praying for a house this way. And somebody else in the Bible study would say, I think you're praying amiss. I think you're assuming too many things of God. Perhaps you need to pray this way. And so we can help each other pray better and pray the right things. And then there's final examples where God declares, uh, compares himself to human fathers. If a son says, Dad, give me a fish. And he says, okay, son, and gives him a snake. Or if if the son says, dad, give me an egg. And the dad says, okay, son, and gives him a scorpion. Jesus says, you don't do that. And you're evil. Not evil doing, but in our core, in our person of person, in our deepest deep. We're evil people. We are so anti-God that that's what we're saved out of that's why we need to be saved because nobody out there is seeking after God on their own but yet when christmas rolls around even the most godless people give gifts to each other they do nice things and if jesus and jesus said if earthly people people who don't know god can do nice things thinks how much nice things that god can do god can give nice gifts. God can do anything. God can fix any situation. But God's primary view is your relationship with Him, not what car you drive. God can give you a new car. God can actually cause you to win the lottery. He can do that. He can do anything He wants. But His goal is a relationship with you Not the stuff you have. Yet God can use the stuff you have to modify and increase that relationship with you. But yet some people will say, prayer still doesn't work. I pray and nothing happens. Well, there's a couple reasons for that. The first is timing. God's timing is not yours. You plan and God laughs. I mean, there's all sorts of things that are said to say, God's going to do what he's going to do and it's our job to catch up. So if I'm praying for this and I, this person to be saved, I can prove it from Scripture. God wants people saved. I'm sharing it in Bible studies. I'm talking to people that this person knows. I want this person saved. And God, we have no clue what his timing is. God may want the person to move or get a sickness or do something else before they get saved. And we do not know what God is doing. We don't know how God is going to answer it. We don't know His timing. Sometimes God's timing is much quicker than our thought about what it should be. A lot of time God's timing is longer than we thought it should be. Rarely do we have an idea how things should happen and God does exactly what we want. That is luck. Um, God does not express how He is going to answer prayer. Second thing is... You pray with the wrong motives. In James 4, 1 to 6, it says, What causes quarrels and what causes fight among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet, and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly, to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people do not know your friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud But gives grace to the humble. All that to say, if your prayers are not being answered, check your pride. Check to see why you're asking for this. Uh, I've known people who have prayed for years to have a relative saved, and then when I talked with them at length, they wanted that person saved so that they would be nicer. And so they would help them out during holidays. They didn't want them saved because they were going to hell. They wanted them saved because they wanted a different sister-in-law. And they felt that God would be able to change them if they were saved. That is wrong motives. That is a prideful prayer. That is do something because I want it. We need to pray for things because God wants it. And when you're praying for things that God wants, then your prayers will be answered. It ends then by saying, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The ultimate perfect answer to every prayer is for God to give you the Holy Spirit to get you saved And then once you have the Holy Spirit, God can begin to work on you. God can begin to grow you. And when it comes to Holy Spirit and prayer, that's in Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. A lot of people look at this and say, the Holy Spirit helps me. No, it says the Holy Spirit prays because you don't know how. Okay? We are lame when it comes to prayer apparently. If you read through scripture, God is not impressed with our prayers. Okay? And I think today we can get so caught up in the events of the day and pray emotionally that way when God is more concerned about how you love your neighbor or something like that. So, we don't pray as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings Too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, according to the will of God. Every good thing you have, every good thing you do, comes because God has given you the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, you have God Himself in you, interceding for you, praying for you. You have Jesus Christ at the right hand of God interceding for you, praying for you. Now, God does not sleep. We sleep, we're lazy, we get grumpy. Not God. Holy Spirit 24-7 is praying for you to God the Father. Jesus Christ 24-7 is praying for you to God the Father. We need to join them in. We need to join with them in praying for the things that is going on in our lives. We need to pray for the things that God wants us to pray for. And ultimately, we pray without ceasing. We pray about everything. There is nothing that comes into your life where you say, I can handle this. I don't need God. Okay, You pray about everything. You pray repeatedly about everything. You pray daily, daily, hourly, hourly. How important it is to you is shown by how often you pray about it. You search the scriptures to gain support. You share your prayer requests with trustworthy Christians. And you pray audaciously. You pray demanding that God gives you what you want, because he is this, he is that, his scripture says this, and you have support of your church. And I think if you do this, that God will begin to direct our prayers to the point where we'll have prayer after prayer after prayer, which has been answered to the glory of God. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we just thank you that you have involved us into prayer, that you have involved us in getting things done, that you have done stuff in such a way that our prayers seems to move you. Lord, we praise you for that and pray that you would give us a mind of prayer, a heart of prayer, and that we would be willing to ask, seek, and knock in everything that we bring to you. Lord, we praise you for that and ask your blessing on the remainder of the day. We ask this through the blood of Christ. Amen.